Jesus starts out with a softball. Who do people say that I am? It's an easy question to answer because it's always easy to say what other people think. And so the disciples reply in a flood of voices. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Uh Uh-huh. That's all very interesting. But, says Jesus, who do you say that I am? And suddenly, the chorus goes quiet. They becomes he, and he is Simon Peter. And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a contrast. First, the excited throng of disciples, each reporting mere opinions. Some say this, others say that, and so on. Then a hush, followed by Peter's simple and solemn profession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. These two different replies, that of Peter and that of the larger group, represent two different attitudes toward Jesus. One is the attitude of faith, about which I'll say more in a moment. The other is what we might call the journalistic attitude. We're all infected by this to one degree or another. In this democratic information age, we all tend to approach the mysteries of the faith as if we were reading the newspaper, as so many mere facts or opinions, items to be reviewed in a more or less casual way, analyzed from a critical distance, even evaluated on a strictly evidential basis. Some say this, others say that. We respect, but we do not reverence. We're interested, but not ravished. We read, but we don't meditate. We experiment, but we don't commit. These are signs of a spiritual and moral disease. And faith is its remedy. But what is faith? What is this thing that Peter's having it can call down such incredible blessings from our Lord? Not long before he died, St. Augustine came up with a very concise description of the act of faith. To think with assent. To think with assent. Put that way, it sounds so easy, doesn't it? And in a way, it is. In one sense, belief must be easy, scandalously easy, because it's a gift and a grace, and it's open to all. Rich and poor, smart and simple, teacher's pet and problem child. On the other hand, we all eventually realize that, in another sense, belief is anything but easy. And why? Because really assenting to this truth, 
really assenting to this person changes everything. Faith, then, whatever else it is, is always a risk, a holy risk, a joyful risk, a risk we'd be fools to pass up, yet still a risk. Well, what of it? Getting married, having children, pursuing the priesthood, trusting anyone, these are all risks. We don't know for certain how well they'll turn out. And we certainly don't know how much they'll demand. We only know we're sure to fail in various ways. And we try to remember what Mother Teresa told us. God doesn't ask us to be successful, just faithful. Faith is a risk, but it's a peculiar kind of risk because the only danger lies on our end. God's promises can't fail. They stand forever unshaken. But when we discover what it means to accept them, we can decide to settle for less. Likewise, everything God has revealed about himself is in itself most certain. And it accords in every way with what we know by means of rational inquiry. But when we find that it also transcends the tiny scope of our finite minds, for after all, how could it not? We can choose to despise the mystery and call it meaningless rather than adore and call it numinous. Once again... The danger is on our side. So how do we escape this danger? What is the key to a strong faith? It's very simple. It is love. Love is the soul of faith. Because without love, thinking would never lead to assenting. Without love... We might regard the gospel truth as possible or even reasonable, but we would never cleave to it as certain. Love is what makes faith take its stand. Love is what makes faith say, it's so good, it must be true. He is so good, he must be truth itself. The very word of God. What he says, then, is most worthy of belief. Here is a firm rock. Here I will build my house. Then, if we have difficulty with this or that part of the gospel, this or that part of church teaching, we say to ourselves, well, that's only to be expected. A poor, blind sinner like me will be slow to understand. After all, I'd be a royal fool to trust myself over Christ and his church. Obscurity in the intellect is not doubt in the will. Reason can only point. Only faith can run. Acting on what we have heard but cannot see 
That is faith. And love is its engine. Love is what caused Peter to say in today's gospel, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Just as love is what had caused him, after a whole night of fishing, to lower his nets once more, just because Jesus asked him to. And here's the point. This is how he came to know Jesus more profoundly, by acting on what he couldn't see, by taking that risk of faith because of love. It's the same for us. If we expect to know the mysteries of the faith in a journalistic way, from the outside, as detached, critical, or merely interested observers, we're only fooling ourselves. That's not how it works. To know, we must act. We must commit ourselves. We must love. We must enter into the adventure of following Christ. To know in the Bible is not a merely intellectual affair. It's not a matter of cool detachment or objectivity. Nor is it a passing or shallow acquaintance. Rather, it means understanding a person or thing intensely and intimately from the inside out. It's saturated with personal experience. It's an activity in which the whole person is engaged, both head and heart. So, if we would hear the gospel afresh, we must learn from Peter, who teaches us that the mysteries of God are revealed not to the proud and the subtle, not to the sophisticated and the skeptical, but to the humble and to those who suffer, to the innocent and to those who know their own sinfulness, to the teachable and to those whose hearts are prepared.